I'd like to begin today to, uh, by talking about how we determine the right path for our lives. Um, one time I was trying to figure out, you know, God's will uh, for my life, and I was trying to figure out what God's will was for this girl I was dating. And uh, it's not my wife, so this story ends poorly. Uh, and so um, I had read in the Bible uh, that casting lots is a thing. And when you cast lots, it's like you draw straws. And in the Bible, sometimes you read that when you cast lots, you can determine God's will. This is Jonah. Remember Jonah and the big fish? Um, some people think it was a whale. They, we can neither confirm nor deny that there was a blowhole involved. But Jonah, they casted lots, and then they, he got the short straw, which it was God that was involved. So I thought, you know what? You know, maybe the Lord is in this American quarter, and if I flip it and it lands on heads, I'll keep dating this girl. And if it lands on tails, Lord, I will honor this sign from you, and I will break up with her. Or I'll leave her, you know, I'll, I'll leave it. I just need to know your will, God. What is your will? So I took the coin out, and I laid hands on the coin. And I said, Lord, I, I, Lord, bless this face of George Washington. And, and I go, and I flip it. And so heads is, I, heads is we stay together. Tails is we break up. First time it lands. Lands on uh, tails. I go, no, best of three, Lord. And then I go, okay, best of three. So I flip it again. Sure enough, lands on tails. And I go, all right, I'm just going to do what I want anyway. <laughs> and it didn't work out for me. We broke up the end. Let's pray. <laughs> so now there's a lot of creative ways that we use in the world to determine uh, what we should do with our lives and specifically how to understand God's will. Now, some of us whether we mean to or not, uh, one of the most popular things I see, you know, since I've been alive has been echo chambers. What we do in an echo chamber is we say, uh, you know, hey, um, you know, what, what's, I, I go solicit my opinion uh, to someone else. I solicit, here's what I think I should do. And I only really solicit the opinions of people who already affirm what I want the opinion to be. And so, wow, it's just so amazing that I should keep doing what I'm doing. It's amazing how that works out. And that's how we sometimes, uh, many of us go through life. We just kind of surround ourselves with the people who are going to affirm what we want them to affirm. And this is why we, that sometimes doesn't work for us, because we've created echo chambers uh, that, help, that don't really give us the information that we need, sometimes in painful information, sometimes uh, information that challenges what we actually believe about a situation or a job or whatever it is. Um, you know, but some of us, one of the most popular ways we try to determine what we should do in our life when we're in a situation, whether it's dating or marriage or, you know, uh, you know, finances or whatever, sometimes we search inside of ourselves and search inside of ourselves. And I want to spend a few minutes discussing this because this is uh, how we, it's so close to home as we as individualistic Americans, how we think about the world. And when we search inside of ourselves, what we're saying is that the right answer is just found within. All we need to do is we just need to look inside ourselves. Our hearts will guide us. Our hearts will guide us where we should go. And this can be very helpful. Like the other day 
we, uh, my daughter, um, we take her to the most wonderful places in Santa Monica and West LA. And we live in one of the most great, the greatest food cities in North America, uh, you know, except for the one place from your hometown that's so good. In Los Angeles, it's so, such good food, the most, the, the greatest ramen, the K-Town is here, the largest population of Koreans outside of Korea. Uh, they're all here, all these amazing things. And we're raising Marin in this beautiful setting with all these wonderful places to eat. And where does she want to go? She wants to go to the place that she can't go, just like you did. Mom, Dad, can we go to this one place that we can't go? And they're, they're like, no, you, you, trust us, it's not the thing. And where does she want to go? Where does she want to go in Los Angeles? The place where we'll, we would never think to take her. That's right, Denny's. She wants to go to Denny's. <laughs> and she wants to go to Denny's. And like, I, you know, I don't, I can just search inside myself and know that that's a bad decision, especially when she orders. She orders off the kid's menu. What did she order? She ordered spaghetti with two sides of bacon. Disgusting. And I also, once again, I go, search inside yourself, Marin. <laughs> Is this a good thing? It's not a good thing. So there's things that we already know in the world that are happening that we can go, okay, let's just, you know, everything I know based about the world and how the world works, spaghetti and bacon at Denny's is probably not the best choice. So, you know, that was a, that's, you know, you can know that that's a bad decision. Um, but there's other things, more serious things, that can actually be detrimental when we search inside of ourselves. Why? Well, when we say that we're searching inside of ourselves, we're assuming that at every turn we have good intentions, that our intentions are pure, and we always know what's best based on what we're thinking and what we are feeling inside. And you know that this just isn't true. You and I, know plenty of people who follow their hearts and they're consistently wrong. They're consistently wrong. And we read stories of people in the news and in the media who are following their hearts. And when they're following their hearts, they're actually doing something that's really awful. They can do things that are perverse. They can do things that are evil. And you see the Bible, in the Bible, and most ancient wisdom for that matter, uh, even outside of the Bible, uh, there's something that's uh, called evil. And evil, or what the Bible calls sin, and sin is defined as missing the mark. It's just missing the mark. Sin. Sin can exist not just in systems, but sin can also exist in the human heart, in, in each individual human heart. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the Bible says that sin can live in systems, can exist in systems. Just look at the world around you. Just look at the world around you. There's systems of oppression that exist. There's racism. There's sexism. There's ableism. There's injustice against women. There's oppression of immigrants. There's the subjugation of weaker countries by stronger countries who impose their will through economic and military means. Uh, evil exists in the world in systems. You don't have to look very far. And some of you have experienced those evils in the world. But then also, as you look around the world, the Bible says that sin exists in every human heart. That is, at the core of every being. They have tendencies. Each individual has tendencies and appetites and feelings that can be wrong. You look at the world around you and you know this is true. People hurt people. We can choose to put our needs above others. We can choose to be jealous we can be spiteful. We can manipulate. We can choose to hurt others for our own benefit. We can develop desires that seem good to us but can be very hurtful and detrimental to other people. The problem of evil is not just out there. 
the problem of evil is in here too. There's sin in me. There's problems in me. And so when we search inside of ourselves, it's fallible. Meaning that like we can feel like it's right, but we can be actually completely wrong. It's possible that we can deceive ourselves. We may think that we're doing what's right, but really we're doing what's wrong. Now, the second problem of searching inside of yourselves is that we're making a massive assumption that all of our thoughts and our life and our relationships, all all of our ideas about right or wrong are our own unique ideas that we came up with them. We we came up with the ideas. And I think of uh, the commencement address uh, that David Foster Wallace gave uh, a few years ago, uh, and he talks about two fish, two young fish that are swimming, uh, and they're swimming one direction. And then there's another fish, an older, wiser fish that's swimming in opposite direction. And, the, you know, in, in this scenario, fish do talk. And the older fish says to the two younger fish, he goes, good morning, boys. How's the water? And they just kind of look at him and they nod and they keep swimming. And then later, once they're out of hearing range of the older fish, one fish looks to the other fish and says, well, well what's water? What is water? And that is part of the issue. What is water? Sometimes we're unaware that we are all in some sort of water. We may not see it, we may not recognize it, but we're in it. No individual person can stand outside of culture. You can't be acultural. We are all connected to a greater grid of what's right or wrong or good or bad or wise or unwise. And we are all influenced by external forces. We are influenced by culture. We are influenced by the society that we find ourselves in. And the fact is, is that if we are honest about our lives, we have to admit that over the course of our lifetime, over the course of your lifetime, we receive thousands of messages, thousands of external messages that come into our minds, ideas from parents and teachers and marketers and social media influencers. And every time that we scroll through an ad on our phone and every time we pass a billboard or every time we watch something on TV, every time we overhear a conversation at a coffee shop or a bar, all of those outside ideas are actually shaping us. How we think, how to feel, how to feel and when to feel it, how, when to worry, when to relax, when to be offended, when to be happy, what to buy, where to buy it, how to dress, who to marry, who to date, how to build a career, how not to build a career, what careers are important, what your faith should look like, and on and on it goes. And so whether we want to admit it or not, we are influenced and shaped by the world around us. And whether we want to admit it or not, we are born actually conformists. And for the individual in the audience, I apologize, but you're not that much of an individual. You're a conformist. You are conforming to the grid that you've been given. And you don't have to do anything at all, and you are already a part of a system. Sounds like... um, if you had to read the script of the Matrix, you know, that's what we have here. But we are all part of a system here. We are all conformed to a culture. So, you know, when it comes to figuring out what to do with your life, you know, we can create echo chambers. We can uh, search inside of ourselves. But there needs to be a different way. 
There needs to be a different way. And the good news is there is a different way for you to determine the right way forward. In Christianity, we believe that we're not on our own to make these decisions, that we actually believe, and we actually believe this, that, that God offers us His will. Now, in case you're unfamiliar, God's will is more than just fate, and it's more than just a song by the rapper Drake. It actually is more than that. It's more than just the comic. It's not a cosmic casino where you roll the cosmic dice and you hope that somehow the powers that be help that, you know, you're not at the craps table like, oh, I need it. Oh, Lord, please let this hit the way I want it to hit. It's God's will is specific. God's will is, can be clear, and it shows what's best for us, and it shows that he's up to something really amazing in the world. It's wisdom, it's direction, it's power, it's sometimes general, and it's sometimes specific. And so um, there's three ways, uh, you know, that Christians have done this. It's we understand God's will from the Bible. So when you actually read the Bible, this gives us an example of what we should do and not do. So for instance, like if I was like, you know what, seems like I'm going to wake up and do some murdering today. You could look at the Bible and say, you know what, let's not do that, right? It's in the Bible. It's like it's written. It's God's, you know, and some people don't really follow that, and then people are buying bars. Uh, the second way God's will is revealed is through prayer and spiritual insight. So we use the Bible as a basis, but then we pray. We say, God, speak to my heart. Speak to my mind. Help me to understand your will. And when we do that, we always understand that it always will line up with Scripture. So say I wanted to, I was feeling like I was, like God was leading me to go do something harmful, to hurt somebody. That would never be the case because it should line up with Scripture. It would line up with what the Bible says. And the third way that God reveals himself in his will is through Christian community. That there's something about when the people of God are understanding God's word through the Bible, and there's something when we're understanding when we're praying, we're saying, God, speak to my heart, speak to my... And when we work in a communal setting, it actually helps us to reveal and understand God's will. And in such a complex world that we find ourselves in, we need God's will. We need His heart. We need wisdom from above. And today, I'm going to offer you a way of thinking, uh, the tools that can be applied so that you can understand God's will and know what to do in specific situations. But you need to understand that this is important. You know, we need to know that we need to know lots of things. We need to know what to do at work with a difficult boss. We need to know what to do transitioning out of COVID, what to do with our finances, uh, the ambiguous expectations around dating and marriage and all that stuff. Uh, but you might say, you know, Chris, in the Bible, like, uh, your spouse's name isn't written in the Bible specifically. Like, how, am I in, how are you supposed to know God's will when, you, like, Nicole's name really isn't written in there? And your bank account info is uh, not listed. So what do you know that you're specifically supposed to do with your money, with the opportunities that you have? And, you know, the Bible doesn't say something specifically about ABC company, how you should leave it and go work for XYZ organization. Uh, and, you know, um, you know that, that is a fair question. And what I'm offering you today are the tools, the framework, the lenses, the process by which we understand God's will. God's will can be specific, and he can talk to you today about what you're going through. And the what I'm going to show you is the framework to get there. Does that make sense? Right? So you're not going to open the book and see, you know, that you should uh, come work for Pack City. You're not going to see that. But you will develop the framework today. Does that make sense? And maybe you've heard the saying, um, teach a man or a, um, oh no, give a man or a woman a fish. Uh, they'll eat for a day. 
uh, or teach a man or a woman to fish, they'll eat for a lifetime. What I'm showing you today is how to fish, how to fish, how to go and understand God's will. What is the grid for that? So um, I believe that we can hear from God actually today, and so I'm going to provide you that framework. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture from Romans, uh, but before we do, let's welcome God's presence one more time. All right, God, we do welcome you again. uh, We already know that you're here. God, we want to know your heart, and there's people here today who want to hear from you. So, God, I ask that you would speak through me. God, I ask that you put power on this message. Help me to speak as I should. Guide my words and guide our time together. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today's talk is called How to Know God's Will. Uh, And today we're going to look at something from the Apostle Paul. And Paul might be a bona fide genius. And when he says things, like you have to actually look at every sentence that he says. It's like really dense stuff. And it's so dense, I'm going to break up like two Bible verses that you could talk like a lifetime on. And um, I know it's super dense, so we need to break it into three parts. And so here are the three parts. And I want you to repeat after me because I feel like, you know, I've been talking too much. Um, you know, uh, this isn't a conversation really, uh, but like you can, you can be, give me some feedback here. So the first part is the motivation. Say the motivation. The motivation. Yeah, cool. When we said it all together like that, we sounded like a cult. Let's do it again. All right, cool. The second part is the offering. Yeah, there we go. There's some love. And then also the third part is the mind. Say the mind. All right. So the motivation, the offering, and the mind. All right. So let's talk about the motivation. If you have your little handout, you can grab it. You can follow along. Is it in there? Yeah. It's Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. We're going to read the first line. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, full stop. Whenever we see the therefore, we need to ask what it's there for. He says, I urge you, in view of God's mercy. The phrase, in view of God's mercy. What's Paul doing here? Paul the Apostle is laying out the motivation, the motivation for being a Christian. Paul, for the Apostle Paul, he's making it crystal clear that the Christian isn't motivated by fear. We're not motivated by shame. We're not motivated by self-righteousness. The Christian is motivated by God's mercy, by God's grace, and by God's love. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you know uh, the play, the movie, and the musical Les Miserables? Les Miserables, yes. Les Miserables. Uh, when I was a kid, I'm like, why would someone call something Les Miserables? Uh, and, uh, but, you know, I'm so much smarter now. So in Les Mis, there is Jean Valjean, the main character. And in the beginning, he is arrested for, I think, stealing bread? Um, you're our resident, uh, Jean Valjean. Please don't correct me now. Correct me later. But uh, so, <laughs> like, you know all the details, and you love it. Um, so, uh, so Jean Valjean steals a loaf of bread. He goes to jail for a long time. This is in, like, uh, in France in the, in, during a pre-revolution, near, the, near uh, post, is it post-revolution? Post-revolution. Post-revolution. And so uh, he steals bread. He goes away to jail. He gets out of jail, uh, and he's, like, broken. He's a broken man. And so uh, he's traveling through this one area of France, and he stays overnight at a bishop's house. And uh, in the middle of the night, uh, if you know the story, he steals... Uh, he gets up in the middle of the night, and he steals all the silver from the, uh, the bishop, and he leaves. He leaves in the middle of the night. 
And the equivalent, the next day, the equivalent of a police officer uh, finds Jean Valjean and, and roughs him up uh, like cops have done for centuries. And he brings him back to the bishop's house. And you know how the story goes. You know, he goes there and he's like, you know, I found this guy. He has all this silver. He says that you gave it to him. And, um, and, he go, and so the bishop has this choice about how to respond. He could take this guy and he could throw him back into jail. He could say, this guy stole from me. But what does he do instead? He says, yes, I gave him the silver. Oh, yeah, and, you've, and in some versions, like if it's a TV version, they go, and you forgot to take the other things too. And he gives him more things. And the cop, the equivalent of a cop, is like very confused why this bishop who was just stolen from, gives away all his stuff and then gives him more. And when Jean Valjean discusses this after the cop leaves, like, it has this powerful moment that happens for Jean Valjean. Because this is a guy that had done wrong. And the bishop looks at him and he's, in a way, forgiving him. He's restoring him. And then he's blessing him. He's giving him what he doesn't deserve, and he's buying almost like his future, saying you don't have to live this way anymore. You can live a different way. And this has a deep impression on Jean Valjean, and he goes away from that experience a changed man. He is no longer the criminal that he thought that he was. The bishop reinstates him and looks at him as a human and restores his humanity. And in the same way, this is what we see when Paul says, in view of God's mercy, therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that God has done, God in his infinite goodness took on the problems of humanity, the world, and he named it, he came in the form of a person named Jesus, and he challenged the broken systems that exist in systems, but he also challenged the sin that's in every human heart, and he offered a different way forward, and ultimately he died in our place, taking on sin and brokenness and all the things that we've experienced in the world, so that anybody who calls on the name of Jesus can be free from their sin. They can be free from conforming to the patterns of this world. They can be free from missing the mark, and they can be set free emotionally and spiritually and mentally and physically that God in His grace has done something, and we are marked forever changed, that through Jesus we are made right with the world. And the most important thing about all of this is that we don't have to do anything to deserve it, that it is a free gift for us. Jesus has chosen to love us in the midst of our bad choices. He has chosen to love us first. We don't have to get ourselves cleaned up before we come to Jesus. So God's love, God's mercy, his grace is the reason Paul is motivated. It's the reason you and I should be motivated. Now let me tell you something. If you are not motivated by an experience of God's love or His grace, you're going to have a real hard time in Christianity because you're forever going to look at it as a system that you need to do something in order for God to love you, and that's not true. And so let me ask you with all affection, have you experienced the love and the grace of God? And if you haven't, I encourage you to welcome Him into your life. This is the way we do it. 
that you cannot be motivated by shame or guilt or self-righteousness or all the things, it won't work for you. It won't work for you, and it's not the way that God designed. So that was part one. That was the motivation. Can you say the motivation? That's good. I hope it uh, comes up on the recording. Okay, so that was the motivation. The next logical question is what? You're motivated for what? How are you? Why, why motivated for what? Which leads us to part two. Does anybody remember part two? The offering. That's right. Extra credit. Paul writes that when we experience the grace of God, the mercy of God, we do something interesting. Okay, so read with me. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, okay, so now that we know that we're motivated by God's love, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul says that the best response that we can have to God's love is to offer our bodies as a sacrifice, which is a bit of an oxymoron because it says living sacrifice. So living generally means to live, and sacrifice generally means to die. So what is Paul saying here? Well, just as Jean Valjean experienced the mercy and grace, he responded by offering his body, his life, his future to the service of others as a living sacrifice. He served others. He built a business that benefited others. He took an orphan under his wing, and his life was marked by serving the greater good. And so to be a living sacrifice is along those lines. It is, in fact, to be fully at God's disposal. It means that we actively wait for God's direction and his leadership. It means that we're willing to obey God even when it's like hard and in any area of our life. It means that we passively are willing to thank God for anything that he sends our way in our lives. And to become obedient means that we, uh, or to be a living sacrifice means to become obedient in the big things and in the little things. And I think this is where most people get stuck. This is where people have the hardest time. Sometimes people today, when they're following Jesus, they will only follow Jesus with a part of their life. They'll submit to God for the big things, but they won't follow God or submit themselves in the little things. Or vice versa, they'll submit in the little things, but they won't submit in the big things. They'll withhold certain parts of their life and they wonder why it's not working for them. They'll say, God, you can have everything, but you're going to stay away from my sex life. God, you can have everything, but what I do with my money is my business. God, I, I, I understand that you're Lord, whatever that means, but I still, on a, on, a, on a fundamental level, I get to choose what I want to do, when I want to do it, and with who I want to do it with. But everything else is yours. And you see, when it comes to a relationship with God, when it comes to a relationship with God that we read in the Bible, it's, not a real, it's, a, it's a relationship with a real being. It's not just a theological concept. So, like, for instance, like, what if, um, you know, I have my, have my wife and, uh, and she has me, but what if, like, she only or I only gave certain parts of my life to my wife? Like, you can have me, you know, Monday through Friday, Nikki, but what I do on the weekends is my business. I'm already getting a dirty look, even for this illustration. <laughs> my body, my business. And, and like, you know, um, 
when it comes to the kid, I will only work with the kid on these things. And it's, you know, what? No, you'd be like, no, that's not how relationships work, Chris. And you should see a marriage counselor. In the same way, we try to do that with the living God. We only try to give him parts of our lives, and then we wonder why it's not working. And I wish there was an easier way around this, but I don't, actually. It's just something you say before you say something harsh. But there isn't. If you want to take your life with Jesus seriously, you may be led to become a living sacrifice in a way that's uncomfortable for you. And it doesn't always benefit you. That doesn't always make you look the best. That may cause you to lose friends or a job or, you know, it might even cause you to lose your life. So let me ask this with all affection. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, how are you doing with offering your body as a living sacrifice to God your whole life? You know, uh, is there an area in your life that you have withheld from God? Is it in your mind or in your heart or in your body? Are you just doing your own thing? And if you are, you're probably avoiding it as I speak. But I have to tell you, just as Paul tells us, in view of God's mercy, you must once again choose to be a living sacrifice. And here's how you do it. You start by going to God. You say, God, I, I am doing things my own way. I've been turning my own way. Uh, and, you know, it, maybe it's working, maybe it's not. But I'm, I want to turn away from doing what I'm doing. I want, uh, you know, I want to, you to do something different in my life. I surrender with no strings attached. God, I want to give this part of my life to you. And even though it's really hard, it's really difficult, I do want to give it to you. Make me a living sacrifice for you. And when we do that, we're starting with ourselves. We're starting in our will. We're saying we are conforming our will to your will. And after you make that decision, you walk it out. You tell someone in the Christian community about it. And this is why we believe that community groups are so important in this church, because you're not meant to live the Christian life alone. You have to walk this out with people who can support you in that decision. So if you're not in a community group, you should check out our community groups. We need to walk this out together. So that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. Look at the end of that sentence. When we do this, what does Paul call this? He calls it worship. And Paul is doing something incredible here. He is widening the definition of worship. Worship is not just singing songs. Worship is not just arms raised and music playing at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Worship is everything that we do when we present our bodies to God. As a, it's a spiritual act of worship. Worship can be expressed in almost everything we do. I love singing. You love singing enough to sit here. Enough. Uh, but here's what worship actually is according to these verses. It's bigger. When Patrick comes really early and starts setting up chairs and signs and doing things around here, that is worship to God. When Kate and Nikki start executing on a women's, a Pack City women's event, when they do those events, they may go, okay, we got to gather people and we're calling these people to make sure they're there. We're going to have this kind of programming and we hope out of this programming we can empower women to do this and that and the other. It has nothing to do with music, but it has everything to do with presenting your body to God as a spiritual act of worship. They're worshiping God when they do that. 
And when, you know, when we have volunteers who come in and serve our kids at Pack City Kids, that their drools and their snots and their bad attitudes, you can look at that and you can say, this is worship to God. And when somebody is in this little field of dreams and they are talking to their BFF, their best day, and they see someone who's sitting over there who doesn't look like they know anybody, and they go, here, hold on, let me suspend this conversation for a minute. And they walk across and they introduce themselves and they make it normal. For all the, for all the people who are welcome, you make it normal. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, we're not that we're doing this. Like, you're, you're, hi, my name is. Tell me where you're from. So glad that you're here. When they do that, nothing to do with music, but that is worship to God. You're, you're presenting your body. God, use me however you want. Use me however you want. And, you know, that, that's, that is what it means to worship, according to these verses. All this menial stuff, all the stuff that we go, you know, I just need to get through this to get to the real thing. Junior is going to bring the thunder with the worship. That is important, and we are going to worship again, and we believe that God comes to us, and he's with us during our times of worship. But Paul says that everything that we do unto the Lord is worship. God is honored by that. And when we worship, yes, we worship because he's worth it, but also worship does something for us, which may lead to the third part here. Does anyone remember what it was? That's right. It's the mind. Say the mind. So let's put it together. You got your verses in front of you? Let's put it all together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's Paul saying? Well, if you want to do something countercultural, you want to break out of the conformity that we have in this world, you want to break out of the grid that you find yourself in, you want to break out of searching inside yourself only to find that you're a reflection of your society, start with worship. Start with worship. Why? Because worship resets us. Worship renews us. It transforms the way we look at the world. It fills our hearts and our minds with the things of God. Worship gets us off of ourselves, off of our, our system and off the powers that be, off of the problems and the anxieties, and gets us thinking about the one who is God over it all. And when we worship, especially with the definition I just provided, whether it's with music or with what we're doing, how we're serving others or doing things in line with what God wants, when we're offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, we're doing something that is completely countercultural. We're saying, go ahead, world. Take your best shot. Take your best shot. The world may have some bigger problems. They may have some big problems, but I serve a bigger God. When you don't have to start with your big problems, you can start with an even bigger God. You see, God is bigger than our debts. God is bigger than our confusion about what to do in a situation. God is bigger than our sins, our past, our pain, and our problems. Worship gets us off of what, and it gets us onto who. Worship gets us off of the what, and gets us onto who, and who am I talking about? I'm talking about, of course, the name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus. And so here's the punchline. At the beginning of this talk, I said, this is about how to know God's will. So when we offer our bodies something that we call worship, there's something in that that is mysterious and beautiful and supernatural that happens. 
The Holy Spirit, the living God, honors that choice, honors that decision, and supernaturally, He begins to fill our minds with His will. That there's something that happens when we do that, He honors that. And I've seen it a thousand times. I've seen totally confused people get clear on what they're supposed to do. I've seen confusing situations that suddenly become clear. I've seen a path start to form where there was no path before. And you see, this is the starting point for understanding God's will. The starting point to knowing God's will, uh, what to do in a given situation. And the key is not to start with the what, but to start with the who. And you know, you may be stuck. You may be stuck this morning. You don't know what to do. You may be, and so for maybe for you, maybe asking everyone in your life the same question and not getting the answer, you know, the 100th person, the 101st person, maybe that's not the way to go. And maybe it's not just creating a spreadsheet with a line down the middle with all the pros and cons and like writing out a list of things that you could or could not do in a given situation. Maybe it's not just one more sleepless night of staying up worrying about the what could happen or what might happen or what should happen, running all the terrible scenarios in your head. Maybe you need to get off the what and get on to the who. And maybe you need to stop focusing on your failure and we need to start focusing on our Father in heaven. That there's something when we welcome him, when we worship him, that transforms us. And we start to worship him with our daily choices. We start to worship him in our menial tasks. And we honor him. And through that process, we have a way of determining and hearing God's uh, God's will for our lives. And um, I'm just going to say this as I close. And it is more of a, um, um, a, 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 a musical worship illustration. Uh, so like the last year and a half has like not been easy for a lot of us um and it's been hard on me too and we're all coming out of whatever this is i mean after all we're meeting outside because you know uh and and one of the things that's helped me get clear on what god wants to do has been to worship and sometimes it's alone. Sometimes it's worshiping God through my choices and serving others and caring for others. Sometimes it's just putting on, like, some really great worship music and allowing that to fill our home and uh, allowing it to fill, like, my daughter's ears and allowing me to be influenced by that. And then now I'm not necessarily singing in the car, like, you know, drumming like every dad does on the steering wheel. Uh, yeah, hey, the band called. Uh, thanks for the tryout. You're on the band. Um, we saw your uh, steering wheel drum solo. <laughs> You're in. And, uh, and through that, through those times of like worship, just quietly like, Lord, you know, I do, I do love you. You do, you, I mean, you turn, you do turn graves into gardens. You do take the worst things and you renew all things. I don't know the way forward, God, but I give you my life again. You are good. And over the last like six months, like, we had to make, like, a ton of choices with this church. And I didn't know how to do any of them. And you're like, no, duh. No one knows how to navigate this stuff, right? And I got to tell you, as I was worshiping, just one decision after the other became clear when it was supposed to become clear. And now I look back on this time, like, yeah, I'm a little angry about COVID. Yeah, it, you know, whatever. But... I feel like the last six months, eight months, it's been marked by like, man, God's been with me. 
And like, even though like I didn't understand what to do a certain time. I mean, we're trying to hire people. We did interviews. And they didn't work out. We went on to the next person. We're like, oh, no, this and that and the other. Like, oh, no, we're, you know, yay, we can not have masks and we can meet inside of a building. And like, oh, no, they took that away. And you're like, but all throughout that, there's this, there's this arc. There's this direction of around the worship that we were having in our home and in our lives that was shaping us. And we were like, you know what? We don't understand what to do, but we know who to go to. And so now I look back on it, and I'm really grateful for this time because God was with me. I don't know. And, and, and by the way, all the decisions we needed to make got figured out. Like, you know, I mean, they just figured themselves out. There's something about when we get off of ourselves and we get out of our problems and we look to him, something supernaturally takes place. That's the only way I can really explain this. That is the framework. This is how this works. And here's why it's so hard for some of us, because it's out of your control. And you're relying on a spiritual force, the Holy Spirit. You can't control him. You can't control what he might want to do. And so... I'm here to tell you, offer your bodies. This is your spiritual act of worship. You want to know God's will for your life? Welcome Him now. Welcome His Spirit and worship Him. So here's what I want to do. Um, I think we could call every group down, you know. I, you know, I look out and I see thousands of people, maybe even dozens. <laughs> um, we could do... We could do any, we could, we could like, oh, listen, if you're like, you have anything, um, you know, uh, but here's what I want to do. What if we worship one more time together, and by worshiping and focusing on him, maybe God would speak to you. Um, maybe God would speak to you. And so, um, it, and, you know, maybe God would talk to you about that thing. And you have that one thing. I do. I have that one thing. I'm not telling you what it is. But the one thing, right? We're working through Maybe as we get us off the what, we get onto who, maybe God might just talk to us in the field. Maybe. Or maybe God will talk to us and work it out during the week. You want to, get, you want to do like a real like lab here? You want to experiment and you want to see if God speaks to us? I feel like he could pour himself out right now to some of us, or if not all of us, if we're open. That's what I actually believe. So let's try it. Let's give it a go. Why don't we stand up? So worship, worship because he's worth it. In view of God's mercy, let's worship together. Now, there is one group I want to invite forward. I believe that we need to pray for those who, are, uh, who uh, have a physical ailment or sickness or something that they're walking through physically in their bodies. We believe that God still heals, and we want to pray for people to experience God's healing. And so some of our prayer team will be here. Uh, and so if that's you, if you're, if you're experiencing something in your body and you say, you know what, I want God to do something. And um, I don't know what he'll do, but I think it's worth trying. And what we have found in this church, in the group of churches that we belong to, is uh, the more we try, the more coincidences we see. So let's have some coincidences today. And so if you feel led, if you want someone to pray for you for something you're experiencing physically in your body, um, just make your way, uh, we have these tissues and altoids here and there, just make your way to the tissues and altoids section, and uh, someone from our, our team, they're going to just ask you a couple diagnostic questions, and they're going to pray with you. Uh, and who knows what God will do. So we're going to do that too. But right now, let's worship together, 
And let me just pray for us. God, God, uh, we worship you. We want to worship you with our bodies. And we ask, God, that you would come in this moment. Come in your power. We invite you to be here. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Let's worship one last time together. Thank you.